This is Got Marketing, a fad-free, fluff-free, no-nonsense podcast for marketers looking to work smarter. I'm your host, Mia Feilman, a marketing strategist with over two decades of experience and an entrepreneur. I'm tired of marketers telling you what you want to hear. Instead, I tell you what you need to hear. During the show, I chat with creatives and strategists about all the aspects of marketing, but especially marketing campaigns. Unpacking and dissecting marketing campaigns is what I do for fun. Got Marketing is brought to you by Campaign Del Mar, the marketing education platform where marketers and entrepreneurs go to upskill. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello, everyone. I thought it was about time I explained the milk moustache and the milk cartons on this podcast cover art. So my podcast name, Got Marketing, was inspired by the iconic Got Milk campaign. And while there are many iterations of the Got Milk campaign, lots of creatives, the most famous is of well-known celebrities and thought leaders with white milk moustaches. So hence my podcast cover art. But we're going to talk about the Got Milk campaign today because honestly, it is a marketing masterpiece. We live in an era of clickbait, cheap tricks to get momentary attention. And while most advertising is regarded as disposable with a shelf life of only a few months, if you're lucky, Got Milk has endured for more than a decade since it was first released in 1993. The slogan has become an international icon and the phrase has been parodied more than any other tagline in history. But marketers like me, we have a penchant to get obsessed with campaigns that win awards, but don't necessarily drive business results. So in today's episode, we are going to scratch below the surface of this campaign and unpack how it came about whether it was a commercial success, and what smaller brands can take away from this campaign. So to have this juicy chat out with me, I have invited back to the Got Marketing podcast, the smartest and most talented and kindest marketer I know, my good friend, Lauren Pickering. She is a professional marketer with over 15 years of experience across consumer brands, education, and professional services. Lauren has been the group brand manager of Maybelline New York, which is where we met, the senior marketing manager for Barbie. Yes, that Barbie. And she is now the executive director of marketing for Lauriston Girls School. Hello. Hello. Good to be back and get my marketing geek on. So, yes. So this is a fun fact for our listeners. You and I recorded the first ever episode of the Got Marketing podcast. Mm. I released it as episode three, but it was like you and I who had no podcasting experience (laughs) recording this podcast from our like home offices and totally faking it until we made it. Why not? (laughs) It's fun. It was just fun. It was fun. And also fun fact, this is now one of the top 20 marketing podcasts in Australia. Of course it is, man. (laughs) So obviously we're doing something right. I'm looking forward to chatting about campaigns. It's it's one of my favourite things to do. 
Oh, same babe. So one of the biggest learnings that I have had over the course of the Got Marketing podcast is that I need to shut up more and let my really clever guests talk more and shine. So that's exactly what we're going to do today. So why don't you start us off? Tell us about this campaign. Like what is, if you've never heard of it before, if you're a Gen Z, if 1993 is the year you were born, then why should you give a flying ship about the Got Milk campaign? Yeah, well, I might go back a few decades, centuries before. And another fun fact, did you know that early 20th century studies fed milk to rats and found that the rats who were fed milk had shiny fur, but those who got vegetable oil looked raggedy and scrawny. And it was because research like this, and I guess a long history of dairy farming in the US that had us, um, even today, considering milk as this fundamental part of our diets. And for decades and decades, the milk industry was so dominant in in every aspect of beverage consumption, relying on this promise that milk is good for you. And it is. I'm not disputing that. Um, The calcium, the protein, it's good for pregnant women, fresh country air connotations about farming and advertising and PR in the US and all over the world really promoted milk as a wholesome drink. Doctors endorsed it. It was on the table at school cafeterias in the US. But something happened in the 70s and in particular in the 80s that changed all of that. And that's really the Pepsi and Coke effect. And they came along and they aggressively positioned their beverages and and they positioned them with celebrities and they were fun and sexy and youthful. And they made milk look boring, buying it, drinking it, everything about it. And soda, therefore, started becoming the, the beverage of choice. And so people no longer would drink milk. They just used it for bits and pieces. So the milk industry kind of went, oh, this is an issue. And they went to an advertising agency who took a step back and really looked at what was going on with this product that is in all households. And they really observed customers and had a lot of focus groups and realized that drinking milk is no longer exciting. But gee, isn't it frustrating when you go to pour it in your cereal or you go to make pikelets as I was the other day and you have no milk? And it's at that moment when you realise, oh, I've got to always have it in my fridge. It's a staple. So that's kind of the context of the ad. What was working for milk was no longer cutting the mustard and they had to really shift with the times and shift with how society and and everything was changing. So it was in that meeting, I believe, that one of the ad reps just jotted down these two words, got milk, and a few minutes later put a question mark next to it and turned a grammatically incorrect statement into a grammatically incorrect question that became this whole big idea for an array of marketing activities and activations. Yeah, so fascinating. And I think they got to that insight because Goodby Silverstein, who is the advertising agency, who are, you know, world-renowned advertising agency, have worked on campaigns for huge brands, Doritos, BMW, just massive brands. They actually put a hidden camera 
in the kitchen of their agency and were observing their own staff Mm. with the milk. And it was there that they experienced the pain point, the deprivation of running out of milk. And really what's so fascinating about this campaign is that it almost coined the term deprivation marketing, which Mm. is that no one gives a flying ship about milk until you don't have it. And that's a really powerful insight, but also a very powerful human behavior. Mm. Creating a problem that people don't know of, that, that they don't know exists, is one of the most powerful roots of a marketing campaign that works. And and they certainly tapped into that 100%. I love it as well because it responded to market changes. It was anchored in customer insight. But that insight, like you say, wasn't a big expensive market research project to validate the idea. They did do it because they had the money to do it. But it was based on observation, gut feel, and just I think any market or any business owner really should spend that time to observe people in their natural habitats and just watch. There's a real power in observation as a market research tool. Yeah. And so they came up with this very simple, grammatically incorrect slogan, got milk, question mark, which allowed the audience to really sit on that and become problem aware. That's just the beginning of the brilliance of this campaign really, right, Lauren? Um, This campaign took huge creative risks. So they hired a director to film the first television commercial for the Got Milk campaign. And uh, the director, he was almost a nobody. He was up and coming, but he was not as well known as he is today. He is Michael Bay, who (laughs) went on to direct Pearl Harbor, Armageddon, and a whole bunch of other blockbusters. But they plucked him out of, well, not obscurity, but he was not big yet. And they asked him to direct this television commercial. And it was quirky as all get. It was so kooky. So it was like in a dingy kind of sort of cellar room and there's this very awkward guy who's obsessed with American um, Civil War history and he's about to win a competition and all he needs to do is answer the question and he knows this. However, he had just taken a bite out of a peanut butter and jam sandwich and went to take a swig out of the milk carton so that he could like get that cloying feeling out of his mouth and the milk was empty and he wasn't able to answer the question on the radio. And as a result, he lost this radio competition with this major prize. And this was like soul crushing because like this, this particular guy was born to answer this question. And so like it is so ridiculous like the plot is ridiculous but it works like I've watched it recently and went that is genius 
Yeah, it's a great ad and it's funny, you know, it it didn't hit the Australian market. It's very American, right? But uh, thanks to Hamilton, I'm now watching this ad where the question was who shot Alexander Hamilton in the history of American (laughs) politics and war times? And I'm like, it's Aaron Burr, damn it, it's Aaron Burr. (laughs) And the ad, you know, with that peanut butter filled mouth, he's like, Aaron Burr and can't get the answer out. And I guess that did start, that one creative started it, but that creative risk and that topic and that theme for an ad was so obscure. But it comes back to me for the reason for the campaign, which is the source of frustration and the slogan, which is Got Milk, that makes such a really niche and quirky ad have longevity and weight. And look, I'm sure you say it to all of your customers and your clients all the time, if you target everybody, you're targeting nobody. And I'd argue that a category like milk, you know what, if anyone can target everybody, it's a category like milk. But what they did with the got marketing question mark was give people the opportunity to relate it to their lives and their situation rather than telling you you've got no milk. So with that one question mark and these many ways you could put the problem in front of people, um, be it an ad or be it licensing and collaborations, which they did a lot of, it was over to people to take what they wanted from this iconic movement that was happening at the time. Yeah. And I want to talk about the licensing and collaborations because those are great. But this is actually something that small businesses or actually all businesses should take out of this is that your big idea, the hero concept for your campaign needs to be meaty enough to have that longevity. Like this one idea, they were able to roll out dozens of different creative executions, different scenarios, you know, some were really quirky, like Aaron Burr, some were a little bit more like straight shooting, but you don't want your campaign to just be like a one hit wonder. Like you want several bites of the cherry, because as we talked about in our first episode, people don't take action after seeing something once. And with this campaign, what they were really trying to do I mean, the business objective was to generate milk sales, but really when you dig below the surface, it was a behavior change campaign. They needed people to stop drinking soft drink, which was very bad for them, and go back to reconsidering milk. And that takes a long time. And so one campaign creative, one TVC is not going to get the job done. And this really speaks to my love of campaigns is that when you hit on gold, it can feed your audience for decades like this one. Yeah. And come back again, you know, it it lasted for decades at milk then shifted kind of when the whole wellness industry started to pick up again to moving away from a point of frustration to back to why milk is good to you. But then more recently, it's come back on TikTok with the Got Milk Challenge. So Got Milk is tried and tested over time. And that's where the best of the best live. And it must have been a huge decision and a big risk that they had moving away from this message of health and wellness to a humour-based point of frustration, big idea. But that's, you know, the crux of all marketing and all business comes into matching your product with 
your customers and making sure that you find that sweet spot and they've highlighted that here. They didn't create it, they highlighted it. Totally. All right, so beyond the television commercials, what else was there? What were the other components of this campaign? Uh, I think that the most famous iteration and the thing that people would most likely remember and even in Australia know of is the milk moustache, which is, you know, what you've tapped into with your cover art um, because so this launched in 1993 with I believe it was in California, the California Milk Association, but then the National Milk Association picks it up a few years later and they go wild with celebrities. You know, we're talking mid-90s here. We're talking print advertising. We're talking the white line on your lip, the milk moustache, we've got milk taglines and you're talking about celebrities like Britney and Jennifer Aniston and David Beckham you know you're talking the who's of the who um, Harrison Ford Mandy Moore and they went beyond humans they went into um, characters with Superman and they even went to Kermit the Frog so this quickly became not an advertising campaign but a cultural moment in time that still last today and, and you mentioned that it is one of the most parodied taglines of all time and, and you know if you're on Saturday Night Live you know that there's something happening there so I think that that probably was the part that resonated and at that time print and billboard very much you know the it and a bit of branding and, and marketing but interesting you know and I touched on this before the part that probably is overlooked in this campaign are the licensed products that were part of it and the collaborations and you know as milk as a category you have obvious choices you you know they licensed the slogan to I think it was Oreo and there was a cereal Cheerios um, Cheetos Cheerios yeah something yeah. like that and that makes sense right cereal milk tick cookies milk yep tick but they went beyond that and um you know there's a Got Milk Barbie out there with a cow print dress and a gift we purchase curly sipper straw. And I love that they went a little off centre with their licensing and partnerships. And what rings true today about that is that collaboration marketing is where it's at. And that's where you can really find new audiences, new messages, new associations, new markets really quickly, but it has to have a point of benefit for both brands and for milk you know they don't need to drive awareness of milk they needed to change the perception of milk in some ways and for barbie who i can speak to, to quite you know all day long with my history with barbie barbie is a brand that has reflected culture and pop culture for 60 plus years so they wanted to be part of this movement as well so you had this partnership, license, collaboration, whatever you want to call it. I don't know the commercial deal, so I don't know what the exact technical term would be, but they found all those avenues to, again, extend their campaign and just be in front of people in new and different ways. That's such a good point, and I absolutely echo your thoughts about the power of collaboration marketing, but just like this campaign shows us you need to go beyond the obvious like everyone collaborates the same way it's like oh we'll do a limited edition product we'll do limited edition packaging we'll do an event but if you can really do something attention grabbing then guess what you're going to get attention so I think 
you know, now's a good time as any to repeat that creativity is the future of business advantage. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's not just for products. I think the people who have businesses that are anchored in product, you've got collaboration opportunity coming out your ears, but so do you if you're a service business. Um, It's just thinking a little bit deeper and finding those links that may not be obvious. Right now, for instance, I work in education. We're looking at partnering schools with industry and creating pathways in that space, kind of cutting out the middleman of university. You know, at the moment, I work in girls education. There's a gap in girls engineering. Well, let's get schools and industry to talk because at university, a lot of girls drop out. Okay. It's insight based. There's mutual benefit. It's just finding the avenues and, and yeah, creativity, critical thinking, Oh, that's so great. How genius is that? I want to, I definitely want to know how that evolves. I'm so keen to follow that. (laughs) Yeah, but it's the collaboration marketing anchor to this thinking. So if you've got that anchor point and you talk about it, I know in your schools, once you are taught how you can do it, it's really just you figuring out the the actual path that you're going to take. So I think between the TV and the print and outdoor and the collaboration marketing, that was really the crux of the Got Milk campaign that went for a decade. Yeah, awesome. Got Marketing is brought to you by Campaign Del Mar, a marketing education platform for entrepreneurs. Master the fundamentals of marketing, nail your email marketing strategy, or join my signature program, Campaign Classroom, and learn how to create killer marketing campaigns. These are not the kind of online programs where you are left floundering, unsure how to put theory into practice. Nor will these programs sit unfinished for months. You can expect accountability, a supportive community, and to walk away with practical, real-world marketing skills. Learn more at campaigndelmar.com. So the other thing, and then we're going to get to the results and actually see if it worked. But the last thing that I want to cover off about this is that it broke the rules. Now, you and I, we are marketing rule followers, would you say? Like we're, you know, professionally educated, strategic marketers. We know all the rules. We tend to follow the rules. This one took the rule book, set it on fire and threw it out the window. And that's the power of working with other people, you know, like sometimes if you're running your own business or working internally on a brand, you've got to get the lens and the, the views and the opinions of others. So it wasn't the milk industry who came up with this idea. It was their advertising agency partners. And I know that when I'm in a creative meeting and something makes me feel a tad bit uncomfortable, I know that we're onto something um, because if I'm feeling completely comfortable, it's too obvious. And yeah, you and I have a risk tolerance of about 10 to 15%, right, naturally. So we need people to stretch us beyond. And we talked about the grammatically incorrect. And I just, I love the question mark because Got Milk and the Diamond is Forever campaign are two of my favourites. And the Diamond is Forever campaign was De Beers and it was back in, I think, the 1940s. And the aim was to associate diamonds with everlasting love. And hence, a diamond is forever is born. But if you put a question mark at the end of that, does it work? No, a diamond is forever. If you put it full stop at the end of got milk, does it work? No. So the power of copywriting 
it's just so underestimated and we don't attribute a lot of marketing success to copywriters and we really should. 100% agree. Totally. All right, Lauren. So did it work? Did it boost sales? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'm a marketing purist. So I want to see campaigns like this work. I want to see them, you know, get with the investment and the response and the positivity and, and the PR noise. I want to see them get sales and have a long-term impact. You know, Dove Real Beauty comes to mind as a campaign that had this much impact and saw that the sales and the social awareness part come to fruition. Look, Forgot Milk, we, we know now and they probably knew then that milk consumption in the traditional sense was never going to get back to where it was before this entire soda industry came to fruition and took off. So did it work in terms of pure sales? Well, in the year or two after the campaign, the gallons of milk sold in California went up. So great. But milk consumption over the next 10 or so years went down and sales went down too. So I guess my question would be, did they maximize the opportunity to halt a trend that was already declining? And did they adjust that line? The data says, yes, they did. They stopped what could have been a 200 plus million dollar decline and and saved that to be a 20 odd million dollar decline. Did they, however, find a way to create a new problem or a situation to grow consumption in lieu of the drinking milk that they were losing to soda? No. So they didn't Mm. find that opportunity. And that's where I go back to the Diamonds Are Forever campaign. Diamond associates with everlasting love. All of a sudden, bang, a diamond engagement ring is the product of choice and they've created a whole new market for themselves as a category product. So for me, it was never going to grow sales to the level, but I think it definitely, you know, but for this campaign, what would have happened? And I can relate to that a little bit because when I was at the helm of Barbie, the lovely movie Frozen comes out and all of a sudden every little girl wants a Frozen and an Elsa doll, not a Barbie doll. And Barbie was in decline for a few years. Of course she was because when there's switch behaviour, that happens. But for my team's actions at the time, what would have happened? Because we did everything we possibly could to minimise that decline. And eventually it turned in, you know, Frozen had its moment and then Barbie got back on positive growth. So it does raise the question, is advertising the only thing that can drive sales? No, it's not. And it shouldn't be. But yeah, so I think the answer to this question, did it work? It's a yeah, nah, very Australian. (laughs) (laughs) So many good points that you mentioned there that I I think that it did work in terms of it slowed down the ultimate demise of milk, which was inevitable. But the thing that I heard you say, which is the thing that I believe, is that we are not in the business of turd polishing. That's not what marketing is. At the end of the day, the best marketing campaign in the world can't save a dinosaur industry and, you know, customer behaviors and customer preferences have changed. I'm lactose intolerant. I can't Mm. drink milk. And so do a lot of people. And so this was inevitable. And so I definitely don't blame the marketing. And I'm I will always hold this up as a marketing masterpiece. I think that it did the best job it could do. But at Mm. the end of the day, the 
four P's of marketing or the seven P's of marketing. It's more than just the promotional element. It's the product, it's the price, it's the distribution strategies, all of those things that come into play. And I feel like the problem with milk consumption was that by the time they got to this campaign, it had already been too late. It, you know, it was already a funny daddy product. So yeah. Yeah. I agree completely with you. It's a campaign that has its iconic status because of the so many things that were so right about it. And it's not only up to marketing and advertising to solve problems. It's still an incredible campaign, but you have to be realistic about the trajectory that followed. Exactly. All right. So what can small businesses take out of this? You mentioned clever copywriting is underutilized, underpotentialized. Uh, if you've got some budget, go and find a killer copywriter that's going to help you nail that message. Deprivation marketing is now alive and swinging. And we see this across a lot of brands, but it really started with Got Milk. But there is something there to explore um, that all marketing should be insight driven and all big ideas should be based on a human truth. Like it's no one thinks about milk until you run out. And that is a human truth. Anything else, Lauren, that smaller brands should take out of this? Yeah, I think on the insight thing, it's not expensive to, to gain market insight. I think the other one right at the start that we talked about was don't just roll over and repeat year on year the things that have worked for you in the past. You know, Milk was doing that for about a decade while Pepsi and Coke came on board and and really took a big share. I never like to focus too much on what competitors are doing because they're them and and you're you, but gee, you've got to keep an eye on them. So keep an eye on your competitors and not just your close competitors. What's broadly happening in society at the moment? Just to your point about the creative idea and that big idea, hold that at the core of everything you do when it comes to a campaign. Because if you rush off and apply that big idea into tactics that don't make sense and for that big idea, then it's not going to work. So you have to stress test that big idea. Will it work in the many different ways you see it rolling out? Yeah. The example that comes to mind about an industry that has always done this a particular way is like fast food industry. And I have a food marketing background and for forever, the way that you advertised fast food was with food porn, you know, a burger that doesn't look anything like the Whopper that you actually get the sloppy, disgusting Whopper, but it looks incredible. There's like crisp lettuce and like this bun actually has constitution as opposed to being this flat, like lifeless thing. And that's just what you did. And then Burger King came out with the Moldy Whopper campaign mm-hmm. and everyone was like, what have they done? They have literally shown their product, not a competitor's product, decomposing, looking foul, and that's what they put in their advertising. And it absolutely worked, right? I mean, it won the Can Lion Award for creativity, but it also really worked to – send home the proof point that Burger King don't use preservatives in their product. And like 
taking a commonly held misconception, like people believe it, that like, oh, well, it absolutely has preservatives. Like McDonald's chicken nuggets don't actually have any chicken in them. Like, of course they do. It's supplied by Ingham chicken. Like it's totally chicken. And they just hit that right on the head with the moldy whopper. Yeah, and it's those two examples talking about in one episode, pool, you know, <laughs> not milk and Burger King moldy, but there's nuances there in terms of, you know, people who are wanting to head down an anti-marketing or an anti-competitor angle, that's where Burger King go and that's just the the relationship of Burger King and Maccas and, and all those fast food giants. But Milk took it a slightly different way. They didn't necessarily go anti-marketing or anti-competitor. They went with the deprivation angle and I think that that could be much more appealing for businesses that had a smaller reach and a smaller opportunity to to create tension and a smaller threshold for risk. Totally. I think the Burger King and the McDonald's little tiff that they have is it only works in their benefit. It's like it's almost like they've gotten together and they've said, we are going to energize the category by doing this. This is going to be fun. We're going to have these Twitter wars. And at the end of the day, you know, there are days that you need a Whopper and there are days that you need a chicken nugget. And so, you know, like, and that's what's really actually, and we are totally digressing here, but this is my podcast. So I can do whatever freaking hell I want. This is a marketing rule that's made famous by Byron Sharp in how brands grow is that we think that, oh, well, Burger King have their customers and McDonald's have their customers. That's not true. There is massive overlap. Like the empirical evidence has shown that people who use and consume in the fast food industry consume all the brands in the industry. And so, of course they do. Like there is no such thing as a Pepsi drinker and a Diet Coke. Like, you know, if you can't get a Diet Coke, you're going to get a Pepsi. Like that's just what it is. And so I really like that. It looks risky what they're doing with the moldy whopper and the and the tiff, but actually there's a lot of strategic marketing underpinning mm. all of that, as you would imagine with two global fast-moving consumer groups. Absolutely. Brands. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we could talk forever. So we'll definitely just have you back and we'll we'll pick another topic. Is there anything else that you would like to leave the listeners with? Oh, just that. I'm just so happy that Got Milk is coming back into the vernacular with their TikTok era because there's something classic about great ads and I want my kids to know who Katut and Rhonda are. Oh, my God, yes, yes, so true. That's so true, yeah. I Don't worry, I plan, I have already shown my children centre stage, they're obsessed. As soon as Lila is old enough, it's a walk to remember. Like this is mandatory things that she needs to understand. And, and James too, we watched Grease the other day. So, yeah, it's it's going to live on in marketers, I think. <laughs> Such a pleasure, Lauren. And um, thank you once again for sharing your wisdom bombs and your insight and your just such an intelligent brain with the Got Marketing Podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Mia. Thank you. You listened right up until the end. So why not hit that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? Podcast reviews are like warm hugs and they're also the best way to support a small business. You can connect with me, Mia Feilman, on Instagram or LinkedIn and feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly.